Hello, and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. I'm really excited about today's show because I'm introducing you to somebody by the name of Courtney Dunlop. And Courtney was a beauty editor. And I don't know why, but this is a job that I'm obsessed with. So it was so fun to get her on the show as a guest and to pick her brain and to really find out what it was like to live in New York City and find her way into the beauty industry as an editor for magazines such as Jane Marie Claire. You can also find some of her work in Allure, Cosmopolitan, InStyle, and Real Simple. She's also worked as a consultant for some pretty popular beauty companies such as Aveda, Redken, Clinique, and Tata Harper. I think her real claim to fame is actually she is the co-author of a book called Breaking Into Beauty, which she wrote with her sister. And this book is something you're probably going to want to visit iTunes or Amazon and download a copy of because she tells you all about breaking into the beauty industry. And she talks a lot about jobs that we never even knew existed and were available to us, such as she mentioned that she actually had a job for one of the major beauty companies naming lipstick. How cool is that? We don't even realize these opportunities are available to us out there. So stay tuned. Enjoy the show. She was a lot of fun to have on the show. Again, I'm obsessed with the lifestyle and the job of a beauty editor. So I I had a blast doing the interview and I think you're really going to enjoy it as well. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. I'm your host, Lori Crete. I am a licensed esthetician, spa owner, and beauty biz industry coach, consultant, and educator. I'm so excited to share my love of all things beauty industry related with you. So I invite you to join me each week as I feature compelling interviews with industry educators and leaders and inspirational success stories from my fellow beauty biz practitioners. Stay tuned for some powerful beauty biz inspiration. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. I'm your host, Lori Cree, and today's guest is Courtney Dunlop. Hi, Courtney. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Really good. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Mary Shook is a mutual friend, and she was excited. Yes. I just saw her. She was out in LA speaking at one of my events last month, and she goes, I can't wait for you to interview Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's the best ever. She's like the skincare guru's skincare guru. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I've learned a lot from her for sure. I've known her for a long time. Yeah. She's got it going on in the beauty industry. That's for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. So I looked over your bio when Mary said, oh, you got to have my friend Courtney on. And I thought it was so perfect because believe it or not, I have this weird obsession with beauty editors. I think they probably, in my mind, it's the most glamorous job in the whole entire world. It is pretty glamorous. I mean, you know, people try to downplay it. I think beauty editors try to downplay it sometimes and act like, no, it's really it's not as glamorous as you think. And it's a lot of hard work and all this stuff. And it is a lot of hard work, but it's like, come on, guys, like, take a step back here. Like, it is glamorous. Like, it is. I mean, when you think about what you're doing and where you're working and all the experiences and things you get to see, it's like, yes, it's glamorous. Like, just own it. Like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, in a huge, massively abundant industry, you get to get your hands on all the cool trending products and services and everything. I know you've recently moved to the Midwest, but let's talk about what 
took you from the Midwest to New York City? Did you know you wanted to be in the beauty world? Yes and no. I mean, what's so funny is, and I don't know if it's just because I grew up in the Midwest and maybe this is a Midwestern thing, but you're just not as exposed to many things here. I mean, it's a lot different now because of the internet and social media and reality TV. People see a lot more of what goes on, but I went to high school in the 90s. It's like growing up in the Midwest, it's like there were magazines, but there was like no other way to really know what was going on out there. And I grew up in Southwest Missouri. It's pretty small. I mean, I didn't even grow up in Kansas City or St. Louis, so I did not grow up in a big city. And I just, it just never occurred to me that you could work in the beauty industry, even though I was entrenched in it every day of my life just by existing. I mean, I was obsessed with beauty. I, you know, I wore makeup in high school. I read every magazine. I desperately wanted to get my hands on every new product that I saw in those magazines, but I didn't have access to them where I grew up. You know, you had your Clinique counters, your Estee Lauder and drugstore products, but you know, it was really like the heyday of beauty in a way. It was like Bobby Brown and NARS, like all these great makeup artist brands were coming out and like the supermodels were still going strong. I mean, it was such a awesome time in fashion and beauty. But I was in Missouri and like it never occurred to me that you could actually be a part of it. I felt the same way. I'm really relating to what you're saying. I grew up in Vermont and I'm like... I was in high school in the 80s, which was overly indulgent in the beauty world. But, but I remember so much hair. <laughs> the, there wasn't reality TV and there wasn't anything right. like no. that. But I used to babysit for this one lady. And I remember I could not wait to go to her house because she had that bleach blonde hair, oh, yeah. huge bleach blonde hair and tons of makeup and fur coats everywhere. Oh, yes. I guess it, it was accepted back then. And yeah. I would put the kids to bed and I would just sit and look through her makeup for hours. Never tried any of it on. I was very respectful, but I was obsessed with the life that she lived. Oh my God, it's so true. It's like I was buying like Wet n Wild 99 cent eyeliner and just dreaming that it was NARS. <laughs> like, you know, like that was just, I couldn't believe that there were people in this world who got to wear this kind of makeup. And it just was so unbelievable to me. So it's so funny because it's like, even though I read all these magazines, it never occurred to me you could actually work for one. It's so strange how like, I just didn't grow up around that. Like I come from a family of teachers and engineers and I went to like a, you know, it's just like every people work in medicine here. It's just not that world. And it's it's the Ozarks. So it's just not that world. And so I thought I was going to be a model because to me, the only way to get into that world was to be a model. Like that was it. My brain didn't even understand that there were other things. So I was like trying to do that, whatever kind of worked out, kind of didn't. I'm actually pretty terrible model. It turns out. And (laughs) I went to college at the university of Missouri because I really just had no idea what to do. And they had a fashion program and it's a fashion merchandising program. And I was like, okay, well I love magazines. I love all this stuff. Like obsessed with all the fashion that was going on. So I enrolled in this fashion program and I thought I was a fashion person. And I just had this drive inside of me where I, one day I woke up and I was like, I have to move to New York. I just felt this need. I was like, I have got to get there. I had never visited New York. I didn't even know any person who had visited New York I applied to the Fashion Institute of Technology, got accepted, and just went. Like, I didn't, I had never even stepped foot in New York City. 
I get this because I felt that way about Los Angeles yeah. growing up in Vermont. I had posters hanging on my from Spencer's gift store yeah. of oh, Los Angeles. Yes. That's how I was. And I think people sometimes, I think everybody has their like city soulmate, you know? Yeah. Yes. And I just knew that New York was my soulmate. I did not need to go, like, I did not do a college tour. I did not. I did not know one single person in New York. I had no contacts. I had never visited there. I had no idea. How old were you when you did this? I was 20. So I did two years at the University of Missouri, and then I went. I moved to New York uh, in 2000. Um, I just went. I just packed a suitcase and just went. And I was like, it's just going to happen. And I just stepped off that plane. And the second I stepped foot, I was like, I knew it was home. Like, those are my people there is a city that is my soulmate. It is New York city. I just knew it. The second I got there, I was like, this is it. And I had nothing to lose. I had no money, no responsibilities really, except for myself. And I was just like, I'm just going to do it. I went to the fashion Institute of technology and I was enrolled in the fashion program. This is how I discovered you can work in beauty. It's hilarious. I get there my first week of classes and you know, FIT is like a legit fashion school. This is not the University of Missouri's version. And no offense to the University of Missouri, but they're not in the industry. FIT is thriving in the middle of the industry. It's in the garment district in New York. So when I was in a real legit fashion program, my first week I was like, holy crap, I hate this. I don't care about patterns or fabric or any of that stuff. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? And this is, I would say probably the luckiest break I've ever gotten in my life. FIT has a very small cosmetics and fragrance program. It is a bachelor degree program. I did not even know it existed when I went to that school. After I did a year in the fashion program, I applied to their cosmetics and fragrance program. It was very small at the time. I think it's grown a little bit since I did it. And thankfully, thank the heavens above, I got accepted. And I started, it was basically the beauty industry as a college major. So this is and amazing to me. I could not me. believe, I could not believe that I stumbled into it. I, I mean, I really, to this day, cannot believe that that happened. I, I saw that on your bio and I'm like, I need to ask. So was it more about like cosmetic chemistry or you're learning how to market all of that, oh, all of all it. It was chemistry. So yes, a lot of marketing, a lot of just crash course on the beauty industry and how it works. A lot of lab work, a lot of chemistry. There's product development. I mean, and this was before it, the economy tanked that you were doing this. Uh, yeah. So this was early 2000s. Yes. So this was actually, you know what? It was right around September 11 because I remember going to class when it happened. So that's sort of my benchmark okay. of timing. Um, so yeah, so the 2001, 2002 area and it was awesome. I was like, holy crap. I can't believe this is a job. I can't believe this is something that you can do for a living. And all of a sudden I was like, screw that weird modeling thing that I was trying to do. Screw fashion. I was like, this is where I belong. And I just became so entrenched and obsessed with the beauty and not just beauty, but the industry and just how it works. And I found it to be so fascinating and it was awesome. I'm so happy that it happened. What a beautiful lesson that you just gave to all the listeners. I'm going to rewind here for a second. You said, I really had nothing to lose. And I think that's such nothing. a divine way to look at something because a lot of times we go, well, I don't have anything, so I'm not going to do it. I can't. Oh, I think I am always the opposite. So my thing, I, I give a lot of career advice to people and just advice 
in general to people who are trying to like transition into things. And I always say to them, like, imagine the worst case scenario. Like if you could think of everything wrong that could possibly go wrong, what is it? And imagine that. And a lot of times that's not even that bad. No, it's livable for sure. It's livable. (laughs) It's like, well, I'd have to move back in with my parents. I'm like, okay, is that the worst thing on earth? Are you going to be homeless? No, that's worse. You know, I don't know. I just always try to imagine the worst case scenario and if I could handle the worst case. And in every case, it's yes. It's like, okay, I can hand, I can deal with that. And so I, I'm the opposite. It's like if I always want to have nothing to lose in a way because I always want to take a risk and try something new. I get restless every few years and like kind of try to reinvent myself. So I'm always looking for setting up my life so that I'm able to, to try new things without completely destroying my life and everyone around me. I want to go back to New York when you first got there and you're in school and you know nothing about this crazy city. How did you support yourself financially? I mean, even getting an apartment there is hard to do. Oh my God. It's so funny. It's the best thing ever. And here's the other part. A lot of people are like, I want to move to New York. I don't want to handle like the rat infested gross apartments because I have no money. I have to say, I thrived on that. I was like, no, this is it. Like I grew up in this like cushy kind of isolated Missouri life. I was like, no, I want that. I want that gritty New York story. I want to hit rock bottom in New York and live in a crack <laughs> den and have weird people out on the street. And I want to have no money. And I want to be eating, you know, chips for dinner for three weeks. And I want to survive that and have that. I was like, give it. I was like, bring it on, New York. Like, whatever you have, like, I'll take it. And I don't know. I just did. Like, I had a job. I took out student loans. You know, I did, I'm not going to lie and say I did it all on my own. Like I had some financial support from, you know, my family. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I didn't have that help as well. And I just did it. I would eat crappy food and like live in really bad apartments, really bad. And I loved every second of it. You're so making me take a trip down memory lane because we have a lot in common. When I first became a flight attendant... I moved to Boston and we have no money. You barely get paid when you're a flight attendant. I lived in yeah. an apartment yeah. with six other people, a two bedroom. And the lady across the hall ran a call girl service. So there were people coming, going, yeah. oh, I, I could hear the <laughs> roaches yes. running on my ceiling. Sure. Um, and they they would have, yeah. I guess it's the paddy wagon, come pick up all the drug dealers every Thursday in the apartment complex. And oh, you know yeah. what? You're right. You live it. And it builds character within you for sure. Oh, I take nothing for granted anymore. Like, I, okay, so when I first moved there, I lived in the dorms, which was like a huge gift because I was able to live in the dorms for two years while I really like kind of figured out things. But even after two years of living in New York, like it's not enough. You do not know what you're doing. Like I pretty much only knew the area around school. But when I went to go look for an apartment, the city's so big, I had no idea I've met some amazing people. I had, I ended up getting a roommate. We ended up living in alphabet city, which at the time was not great. And we lived on Avenue C, which was really not great. There was like a legit drug dealer hoarder situation across the street, like across the hallway and like rats in the apartment. I mean, when I did people who saw this apartment was like, I cannot believe you live here. And I loved that apartment <laughs> more than anything on earth. I really did. Cause it, I just felt so cool. 
I was like, I cannot believe I'm living in this, like, I felt like I was living in kids. Like, honestly, that movie, I was like, this is, I can't believe this is my life. Like, this is amazing. Do you, I'm just, everyone is telling me I'm like five years late for the party, but I've recently become obsessed with the show Girls on HBO. And you're like, kind of that version of young, let's figure out what's going on. And we get into all kinds of trouble and we have fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So many shenanigans, so much crazy stuff where I'm like, sometimes I can't believe I survived (laughs) like the stuff that we did. I mean, it was so fun. It was so fun. And I was so happy and I was like, so psyched to be in New York and just find these awesome people. New York is so great because it's like, you can find your people. It's like, it is not judgmental. It's a very more the merrier kind of place. And I don't know. No one knew who I was. It just was awesome. And I was going to school and it was stressful. It was so stressful. But it was awesome. Now back to school. I'm curious because you were like the real deal beauty editor. I'm seeing here Jane, Marie, Claire, Allure, Mm -hmm. Cosmo in style, real simple. Do they teach you how to write when you're in school for the beauty industry? Is that part of the marketing element of it? No, no, my, not at all. So my program, the program that I went to is so great, but it's pretty much set up for you to go work more in like a marketing or product development type. Those people end up working for brands, um, you know, within corporate or, or, you know, and there's some amazing, amazing opportunities, you know, that way I, for some reason, I don't know why I got this like be in my bonnet that I wanted to work in magazines, but the program really is, Maybe it is now, but it was not set up for that. So I really had to figure that out on my own. Um, There was no writing. I hadn't taken a writing class since I think I took one English class my freshman year in college. Um, I happened to be a naturally good writer. Uh, My mom's an English teacher. Like, it just is kind of this natural thing I can do. So I could write even though I never... I was never, I did, like most, so here's something interesting. So most beauty editors were an English major, journalism major. Some of them did more communications, but they all tended to be in the creative arts. As, I mean, maybe there are others, but as far as I know, there aren't very many beauty editors, at least I never knew another one, who had a real product background. So I was different. I was different in that my knowledge of skincare and beauty and the industry in general was like, came from a different angle. So I am a beauty person first and a writer second. There's a lot of beauty editors are writers first and beauty lovers second. I kind of did it opposite. Like the writing to me was just my way of working in the industry. That was sort of my outlet, but I never thought I would be a writer. I never felt the need to be a writer. I don't, I'm not one of those people that even really likes writing as weird as that sounds. It's not, I don't, think of myself as a writer. It's not a drive I have inside of me. Um, the part I liked was the research, the digging into the industry, meeting people, seeing the trends, getting this overall view of the industry. The writing was just the sec- like the secondary part that I had to do to get so that out. So it's a big part of being a beauty editor, though, the journalistic type part. The, right, the journalism. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, I mean, for me, it was like, I just want to work in magazines because I thought it seemed Well, cool. how did you find your way to like the big <laughs> boy magazines? Yeah. The big time? Big boys. Yeah. I mean, it, okay. It was a lot. It, I was very scrappy. 
And I fought and I fought and I fought. Well, Mary so was telling me about you. In- She's like, I knew her when she was an assistant. And she said she always mm-hmm. showed up. She always did a good job. So you had a professionalism about you, even if you say you're being scrappy, <laughs> at least the way others viewed you. I was scrappy even before Mary met me. I was that, that scrappiness and that professionalism, I, I relied on to even get in. And when I say get in, I mean, clawed my (laughs) way in. Like I did not have connections. I did not know people. I had no idea what I was doing. I, and then I just was like, I want to be a magazine editor. And not only do I want to be a magazine editor, but I want to be a beauty editor, which is so it's, it's so hard to get those jobs as beauty. They just don't, there just aren't that many of them. And so for me to say, I want to be a beauty editor, was basically like, I want to win the lottery. So I started with an internship and I fought for that internship. Like I plotted and planned to get that internship. I, it was at Jane magazine. Now Jane was, my dream job. It's the reason I wanted to work in magazines. It was what that's, I was like, I want to be a beauty editor at Jane. Again, I might as well have said, I want to win the lotto. Cause there was like two positions open at Jane, you know, or not open, but just two beauty editor positions at Jane. So for me to say, I want to be a beauty editor at Jane is a very far fetched plan, but I, I got an internship there my last semester in college. And that's what started me. That's what started me with like connections and just really digging into what it means to work at a magazine. But after I graduated from college, that was my only experience. It was like ghost town. I tried for a year, maybe a year and a half to get a job at a magazine. And it was like, I interviewed at every magazine with every, everything you could think of nothing, never got hired. Sometimes I was like, I would make it to a second or third interview. They never picked me. It was so sad and depressing. And I just was like, I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to use every trick I can think of to get a job. And that was things that I just thought other people might not be willing to do. So I did things like hand-delivered resumes before I would go to my like boutique clothing boutique job in Soho. I would hand deliver thank you notes. I would write for free because this was like when online things first started coming around. I wrote for free for different online publications just to have something to show and to stay relevant. You name it, like I did it to try to get a job and I finally did, and that's when I actually met Mary, um, at a magazine called Bridal Guide, was my first real magazine job, as an, I was, and I was as an assistant. But it took me a long time to get that job, and I definitely hit some roadblocks along the way. Like, I interviewed so many times at Condé Nast that those maintenance staff thought <laughs> I worked there. And they own several publications, right? Yeah, so my very first magazine job not an internship, but legit job was bridal guide. Um, I had been interviewing at that point up until then for about a year, maybe a year and a half for beauty editor job, beauty assistant jobs at other places, never gotten them, never gotten them so hard. I was working at a boutique in Soho, just trying to pay for my gross rat infested apartment and 
just really trying, trying, trying to make it. And it just wasn't happening. And I got this interview at Bridal Guide for an assistant position. And we really hit it off in the interview. But, you know, to me, I was like, well, I've hit it off in other interviews and it's never worked out. So what can I do in this instance to make sure that this works out? And so what I did is I tried to think of things that other people might not do. So when you are applying to be a beauty editor, especially early on when you really don't have anything to, to show off or to prove yourself with, you have to do what's called edit tests. So they give you essentially like a mock version of what your job would be. So you usually have to come up with some ideas for the magazine. Sometimes you have to actually write like whole stories for them just so they can you know see what your talent is. Sometimes it involves editing. It almost always involves coming up with fresh ideas and they can be very, very difficult to do. And they're very time consuming. This sounds like so law school. Edit t- like they have you doing mock cases. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what it is. And these edit tests can, are very, can be very time consuming and hard. So I got this edit test for this bridal magazine and I was like, okay, not only am I going to make this the most awesome edit test ever, I'm going to format it differently. You know, a lot of people will just mostly you just do it and email it back. Right. I was like, Oh no, no, this is, I was like, this is it. I'm going for broke. So I like enlisted friends. I spent hours on this edit test. Like I had juries like, okay, what do you think of this idea? This idea, would you read this? Like I spent so much time on this edit test. I like laid it out. I put it in a pretty thing. I hand delivered it to the editor I did not email it. I did not drop it off. I like came to the office and gave it to her. And I was like, here you go. I included a letter on the top as a thank you. That was basically like in a very professional way saying, I don't think you understand how much I want this job. (laughs) And I really just laid it out. I really truly did. I was like, you know what? I was like being coy and cool and like fancy magazine lady has not been working for me. Like I'm just going to be honest. So I ended up getting the job and I cried. That was my first lesson of like, if you actually want something, don't be shy about it. Like a lot of people try to play it cool and I don't know, like they don't want to seem too eager. They don't want to seem desperate. I was like, but ever since then, that is not my rule. My rule now is if I really want something, I just tell them. Honestly, you know, there's something to be said for being genuine, authentic, but then throwing a bit of being like tenacious into the mix seems to work. Like you can't give up. Yes. No, you, you really can't. I mean, it's so easy to give up. But if it's something that you really, really want to do, you owe it to yourself to try. It's, it can be really difficult. But for me, it's like I was not going to stop until I was a beauty editor. It just, I mean, I, I don't care how many you know, jobs in Soho at a boutique I had to work while I was doing it. Like it was going to happen. Now I, you've worked for, like we've mentioned some of the really big magazines. And I have a question that I've always been dying to know the answer to. And that is, do these beauty editors, you get so wooed by the big companies, you know, like the L'Oreal's and that can pay, pay to play, right? 
basically. How mm-hmm. does a small person get a product featured? I would love, and I've been fortunate enough to do it in Los Angeles for some of the TV stations because these people are my clients, but how does somebody get featured? Mm-hmm. Like their expertise featured if they're not a big time brand? Oh, it is so hard. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. It's, it, it's getting harder, quite frankly, because it's funny you say pay to play. And it's funny that I think that that was always sort of shrouded in mystery. And now it's sort of all coming out now, you know, just so many different outlets that aren't traditional magazines. You know, the magazines are always very advertiser focused. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. That's how it was when I started. How I started recognizing this was, this is kind of what happens in our trade show industry too. You know, you want to go hear these speakers and the speakers are normally the people who pay for the booths at the trade show. So I know the same thing happens in other industries or other parts of our industry. So it didn't really happen as much at at the bridal magazine, but I shortly after that um, ended up getting my true real dream job in that I ended up becoming a beauty assistant at Jane. Um, after I had gotten my foot in the door at the bridal magazine. Now, Jane was my ultimate dream job for life. Like I basically peaked when I was like 24 Um, (laughs) and, but it was owned at the time by Condé Nast. Jane has since folded, but I hope at least some of your readers remember what Jane was. No, I'll tell you, I was going to mention to you, I used to love going to my hairdresser because she always had a fresh copy of Jane. And that's what I would read when I was getting my color done. So I totally know. It's just the best ever. So I was working there as my ultimate dream job. They were owned by Condé Nast. So this was my first like big boy pants. Like this is it. And it was pretty shocking how advertiser focused we had to be, especially because Jane was a lot smaller. Like we really didn't have the, the cachet or the real, like glamour is like such a huge power player. Vogue was such a huge power player. Magazines survive on advertising. That's what pays them. And you know what I remembered about Jane? Tell me if this is right or not. They had different paper than everyone else. We did have different paper. Yeah. 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 It wasn't as glossy and hard no, to turn we the pages. Small, I do remember that. Like, we were a small player. I mean, we never had the circulation of Glamour. We never had the circulation of these other magazines. And so we really had to fight for those advertiser dollars. That's what kept us afloat. And so, yeah, it was very advertiser focused. And that was a huge shock for me when I first went in. It was just like, okay, we need to get this advertiser in. Like, where can we squeeze them in? So it does happen. And honestly, you know, magazines are in a decline now. It's no secret. That's what I want to talk to you about next. Yeah. Like I'm getting them free at my spa all the time now is why are, do you know, do you know the insider scoop of why they'd be sending me these free? Do they just want exposure or they want the advertisers to know? If you get a magazine for free, it's added as part of their circulation and advertisers buy based on circulation. Uh, so they, okay. Cause I'm they, like, this is great. Yeah. Oh no, it's so, <laughs> it's so great. Like <laughs> my husband got a free subscription to Redbook. I was like, okay, they, <laughs> their circulation people need to look at their demographics a little better. Well, that's the same thing. <laughs> Jay, my guy is getting Martha Stewart's yeah. magazine. <laughs> I was like, that's weird. It to my husband, not me. It's not even the right age demographic. I was like, okay, but Redbook was able to add us to their circulation. They send out a million free magazines. I have like, I mean, that's an extreme number, but it's all circulation. So the digital world basically changed everything. Is everything. there such a thing as beauty editors or are they like all independent contractors? No, there are. Contributing to a magazine? To digital? 
Yeah. In the digital world, is it kind of the same? You just aren't going to the office every day to do it or? So it's a little bit of both. So it's gotten to the point now where a lot of digital properties have almost a similar setup to like a magazine staff. So yes, there are dedicated beauty editors at websites. Some aren't. It's a real mixed bag online. Like some are just like content feeds where somebody just kind of like grabs stuff and throws it out there. But a lot of them are set up like Refinery29, Total Beauty, all of the magazine properties. So, you know, Vogue.com, Glamour.com, whatever, MarieClaire.com. They have their own dedicated editorial director, beauty editor, photo person, in some cases, assistants, in some cases, you know, cases even copy people. I mean, it's their legit setup. So there are people who go into the office. So I'm fast forwarding a lot. I had worked in magazines and print. I worked at a digital startup called U Beauty, which we started from the ground up. It has since been sold and it's not a good site anymore. But at the time when we started, it was awesome. But I was the editor. I was the executive editor. We had an editor-in-chief. There was a photo editor. We had a beauty editor. We had a social media editor. We even had a research copy fact-checking editor, which was very rare for digital. I mean, it was set up very similar to a magazine. So, like, we were the dedicated people who worked full-time. And we used a ton of freelancers, but we had those people who came into the office every day, five days a week, sometimes six, and that's what we did. Crazy. So how long did you work in magazines? Yeah, so I've had like 80 billion jobs. So I ended up working at Jane, let's say a year and a half after I graduated from college. And it was awesome. So that was your traditional print magazine, beauty editor setup. Um, You know, a few years into that, fast forward to 2007. So 10 years ago, this July, Connie Nast up and closed Jane. And it was like, don't let the door hit you on the way out kind of situation. And all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, like I'm just out here. And so that's when I decided to become like a really dedicated freelancer. I kind of had that mindset of like, I'm ready to reinvent myself. There's a lot of opportunities going on out here. Maybe there's something outside of magazines. I'm just going to try everything. Anything that comes my way, I'm going to do it. So that's how I ended up working for so many different magazines. So I would always do freelance and do consulting for print magazines. So basically act as like a contributing beauty editor type person. Um, But I was able to work from home, which was really nice, Um, you know, for InStyle, Allure, like all these different magazines. I also ended up working in corporate. I would, I became like a copywriter for companies like Aveda and Redken, which was awesome. And then I got, my second dream job, which is I ended up being the contributing beauty editor for Marie Claire, which was three days a week in the office. Now that was the sweetest setup ever because three day work week, basically. And Marie Claire is like, I mean, I thought Jane was like the prime time. Like Marie Claire is prime time. It's just such an awesome magazine and the staff there's so fun. And they're owned by Hearst, the big giant company, which is like, there's Condé Nast and there's Hearst or kind of, and then Time Inc are kind of the three biggest. Mm-hmm. I had never worked for Hearst before. So this was my first time working for Hearst. They have this big, giant, glamorous office right by Central Park. It's so amazing. I mean, it was just the coolest place and the coolest job. And I was so happy. That Marie Claire job was probably my last real print job 
2010-2011 is when I went online full-time. So I really haven't been back to print since then, but I've, you know, I've freelanced here and there for different places, but I've just kind of watched the print decline and like have this sad, slow death. And I was like, I can't go back to that. So you have recently moved from New York City. Was it just the decline of an industry that you were so in love with that made it okay for you to pack up and leave your soulmate city? You know, a little bit. I think, you know, I like to reinvent myself every few years. And New York, as much as it is my soulmate city, it can be very, very stressful. And yes, it's like I had been working in my dream job, in my dream industry, and having this dream life. And yeah, it just isn't the same. It's declining. Opportunities are fewer. The money is get like not there anymore. I mean, it was never great. I mean, no one's really getting rich necessarily working in journalism, but the money is just not really there anymore. And it was just sad. And I was trying so hard to figure out like, what am I going to do with myself? And I think that there's so much opportunity now with the internet, with social media, with all these things, you don't have to be in one particular city anymore. There used to be a time when like you had to move to New York or LA, you know, depending on the industry or something else to be, to work in these industries. That's not the case anymore. And I think there's so much opportunity now in the Midwest, in the South, just all over this country. There's so much more opportunity. There's cool businesses popping up all over the place people are sort of realizing they don't have to go to New York or LA to have these opportunities. And I was like, I think I want to reinvent myself in a place where I know it really well. It's almost like a reverse challenge. It's like going to New York (laughs) was a challenge and like, can I make, can I make it in New York? Like that's my challenge. Okay. Yes, I can. I can make it in New York. And I did, but can I make it in Missouri? You know, it's like, that's a real question for me is like, Oh, this is a we. This is a weird place. But we've had conversations just like leading up to the podcast. You got it in you, girl. What, no matter what you do, you're going to do it well and be fine. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Like you know, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. So so yeah. So last summer, we my, my husband, who by the way is a New Yorker, we packed up on a whim and moved back to my hometown in Missouri because we just didn't know what we were doing in New York anymore. What does he do? He's a voiceover actor. Oh, so that can all be done digitally now, too? It can. Yeah, it can. And the thing is, is New York is a great place. But if you are floundering and you don't know a direction that you're headed in, it's not the place because it's too expensive. Quite frankly, it's too stressful and too expensive to not have a plan. And I always had a plan of where I was going. Now, I may have not had any money, any connections or any clue what I was doing, but at least I knew where I was like a direction to, I was going, you knew your why, but with, I knew my why, like I knew what I was fighting for. I have no interest in really working in magazines anymore. It's just the decline of the industry has gotten really hard. It's working online digitally, like with editorials. It's not for me. It's really intense. Um, the volume of content you have to create is, is insane. And it's just was too stressful and, chaotic for me. So you know what the problem I have? I write for two industry magazines and I am such a weird Virgo planner and the editors will shoot me an email like the day before. Can you send me your article tomorrow? Yeah. 
like, no, I need three weeks to get my thoughts onto paper. I'm not a writer. So it's a lot of instant. We need it now, which I don't do so well with. It's very stressful. I mean, there are people who thrive in that environment and I'm glad that I did it because now I have the experience, but it is not for me. It's just not for me. And so, and then I tried, you know, I was, I have worked for some excellent beauty companies in house, um, Clinique, Aveda, Redken, and that, those were awesome experiences too. But I just kind of started feeling a little bit restless and I felt like it was time for me to just try something else, but I wasn't really sure if that something else was still in New York. So we just left and yeah, we just (laughs) did. Like we just left. I was like, let's just go back to Missouri and see what happens. And And we came back last summer and now I'm trying here in Missouri and I'm like, okay, now my challenge is what are the opportunities here? Like I'm, I still want to do something beauty related. I'm just, even when I say I'm done with beauty, I don't want to do it anymore. I always end up back doing beauty stuff. It like pulls me back every time. And so now I'm like, what are the opportunities here in the Midwest with a completely different group of women, people, everybody, just a different life, different world. Like now the challenge is how can I make it here? So it's actually really fun for me. <laughs> yeah, you're doing your market research right now. Yeah, like I'm just entrenching myself again. I mean, I haven't lived in Missouri in 16 years. And I was like, don't talk to me. I'm done with you, that whole thing. And now I'm back and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, who are these people? Like, what, are, what do they need? What do they want? Like, what kind of opportunities are here? And I have to create these opportunities for myself. So that's another challenge for me is like, I've always wanted to have my own business, do my own thing and freelancing for all those years for different companies, like gave me that taste of independence and calling my own shots, that kind of stuff. But it was still in the end dependent on other people because you depend on them for assignments. You depend on them for all sorts of stuff. Now I'm in this mindset where now I want to take all of that experience, all my contacts, all that cool stuff I've done, working in magazines, working online, working for these great giant global companies. How can I funnel that into an opportunity that I can create for myself? And so that's what I'm working on now is figuring out what that is. Well, I want to have this conversation. I kind of saved this part for last because I think we're going to get caught up in it. Okay. I don't know when you found the time to do this, but you wrote a book you co-authored oh, with your yeah, sister mm-hmm. <laughs> called Breaking Into Beauty. When you wrote the book, who was it written for? Who would benefit from reading the book? Yeah. So, so the book was written actually for people who maybe didn't realize that there were opportunities that are more in, in the industry as far as like working for companies or working for agencies. Because I think what does happen is that a lot of people, and this is, this is how I was, I thought to work in the beauty industry meant to be a hairstylist, a makeup artist, or a salon owner. Like, that was yeah. it. Those were the jobs. It never occurred to me how many thousands of people are employed by just Clinique, for instance. You know, they have a whole education department that are makeup artists. Uh, now those makeup artists aren't working at the local salon doing makeup. They're working at the GM building on fifth Avenue, helping people create new products. So there's this whole other world of people like at Redkin, they have a whole education department where there are former hairstylists who now create plans for Redkin to get 
out to those network salons that all these hairstylists work for. I mean, somebody has to make that stuff. And see, this is amazing. It doesn't just appear in your salon. Like when you get the, your monthly brochure from Redken, someone made that brochure yep. and they had an education person there creating it. This is awesome too, because now it's, you know, I hear so many hairdressers and estheticians and people in the beauty industry saying, I don't want to be just behind the chair or in the treatment room anymore. Mm -hmm. So you can actually do both. You could consult with companies like this, or you could. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so much opportunity there. I mean, these, it's amazing. These big brands. I think that's a part that people don't realize is like these big brands need boots on the ground people. They need people who have done the jobs. They need people. The front line of the army, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't work for Redken, and I did work for Redken as a copywriter, but I wasn't about to tell people how to cut hair. What did I know about that? I needed the education department to write it out. They would write out, like, the haircut trend plan, and I would then kind of shush it up and create it into this beautiful thing. But what do I know about cutting hair? Nothing. I can't tell you how to do that. Yeah. So I think that, and that's kind of what your book talks about, just how to find your, you know, follow your vision or your why. Yeah. So in the book, like one thing I wanted to do, it's really important to me is spell out all these different areas in the beauty industry that I don't think people realize exist. Like I was saying, it's like, there's the obvious things where when you say, I want to work in beauty, people assume you want to be a makeup artist or a hairstylist or a spa or, you know, something like that. And those are great jobs. Those are awesome. But what people don't realize is that there's all these other things. So we broke it down into sections in the book where you can actually see like other opportunities that you could work towards um, in in the beauty industry. We, it's chapter two. It's called Find Your Niche, uh, a.k.a. I can get paid to name lipstick. So <sighs> there's which I did for a long time. That's so, so. cool. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's product development. There's marketing and advertising. There's copywriting, public relations. There's journalism, beauty editors. There are sales. I mean, sometimes sales is such an awesome job for people who are on those front lines because any job where you are working with customers all day long is so awesome because you're on those front lines. You are listening to them all day. You start to know what they want. You can start to anticipate their needs you know what they like and don't like, you know what they're going to respond to. You see all different ages, all different backgrounds. That is very valuable to a company. Oh yeah. And it's just something normally we don't think about. So I think anyone who's feeling a little bit antsy or looking for a new direction to go in the beauty industry, you're definitely going to want to go pick up Courtney's book, a copy of Breaking into Beauty. And how was it writing a book with your sister? Oh, yeah. So I wrote it with my sister who it was actually pretty fun. So she um, also went to the Fashion Institute program, the same program that I went through uh, a few years after I did. And it's good. I mean, we're pretty similar. So um, and we have a similar backgrounds. So it was just it was just fun, like getting her perspective. And, and she has her own industry contacts as well. So it was actually a pretty easy process. Quite frankly, we get along really well. And it wasn't it was it was good. I want to wrap this up by asking you a question, and this is going to put you on the spot. So if you have answers one, two, and three, those are welcome as well. But being in the beauty industry and being an editor and working for these big companies, is there one product that you have just fallen in love with and remained loyal to for years? 
Yes. Ooh, good. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. No, I am a, I'm a huge, especially with skincare, a huge product loyalist. Like I've seen so much and I'm so knowledgeable that I pretty much know instinctively like what's going to work for me and what I should stay away from. Um, but I do have a few products that I have will always use forever and ever. Amen. And one of them is actually Mary Shook's serum. Um, Her C. Really anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. The vitamin C, um, really anything from her cell quench liquid gold line. When I don't use her products, these forehead lines appear. (laughs) And then when I do use them, they go away. So that's all I need. Yes. I love her powder to liquid C is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Number two is this Dermalogica tinted primer with SPF 30 in it. It is the best thing in the world. A makeup artist turned me on to it a few years ago. I don't wear foundation or anything, so it's a little tinted, but it it just kind of makes your whole face look airbrushed. And when I wear it, people freak out. Like people will stop me on the street and be like, oh, your skin is so amazing. What do you use? It's always that Dermalogica primer. I have to say their stuff smells so good too. Oh, I haven't I used Dermalogica in a while, but I, every time somebody opens a bottle of it around me, I'm like, oh, that is so inviting. Dermalogica is one of those brands I always have a few of their products in the rotation. Like I don't think they get enough love like out there in like the fancy glamorous beauty world, but they're a real good workhorse brand. And like I always have some Dermalogica products in rotation. Number three... It is the Clinique Super Defense Age Defense Eye Cream SPF 20. I am a sunscreen crazy person. I could have a whole podcast about sunscreen and the ways I avoid the sun. And it is very, very difficult to find a a sunscreen for around your eye area. But that is where you start to see your age right away. Yes, you're right. But it's practically impossible to find a sunscreen to go around your eye, which I understand it's a you don't want stuff running into your eyes or whatever. So, so Clinique has this SPF 20 eye cream that I use every day, rain or shine. Sometimes I get it for free. You know, like I still get it for free as a beauty editor, but I will like go to the counter to buy it because I want to like make sure they don't discontinue it. That's when you know you're in love with the product. There are certain things I could drive over to Salon Centric or Mally's to get a deal on them and I just get them when I need them. Doesn't even matter. I just get what I need. I'm like, and I want them to know there are people buying it <laughs> so they don't discontinue <laughs> it. So it's like even they'll send me a free one and then I'll go buy one anyway. Cause I'm like, no, 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 I got one for free, but they need to know that somebody's using it, that they should keep it because it's that good. Awesome. Well, Courtney, tell everyone how they can find you and check out your book and learn more about you. On social media, it's really just Instagram, which is at Courtney Dunlop. I'm on Twitter, but I've, I'm, I'm kind of not on Twitter anymore because it stresses me out. But I am at Beauty Editor NYC on Twitter. Um, I was an early adopter of Twitter, so that was like back when you didn't use a yeah. real name. So I have this like good, stu- good handle though. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I guess it's like I'm not a, be- I'm not really a beauty editor or living in New York City anymore. So it's like a little <laughs> weird, but that's that. And then for the book, it's called Break Into Beauty. And you can just search for it on iTunes, Amazon, or Barnes & Noble. It is an ebook, so you'll have to look for it online. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, and we're going to be in touch. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Courtney, have a good day. Awesome. Okay. You too. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The Beauty Biz Show. I hope this episode leaves you feeling inspired to live beautifully. If you'd like a copy of my free report, 
six simple strategies to generate a dramatic increase in your beauty biz income and fill your appointment book with valuable clients, please visit www.lauricrete.com. Or if you'd like to book an appointment at my spa in Los Angeles, please visit www.thespa10.com. Thanks again for tuning into the Beauty Biz Show.